Welcome to Traveling Culturati, where we explore cultures and share travel news, travel tips, destinations, and travel chats. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Well, hey there, fellow Culturati. Javon Harley here, your host and travel pro for Traveling Culturati. We're back. Yes, we traveled for three weeks with three back-to-back groups to Dubai. Today, we're going to tell you about our experiences and how we dealt with the COVID restrictions, kept the group safe as possible through it all. And we're also going to talk about the year ahead, what we can expect in travel for the rest of 2022. And I have to tell you that it's shaping up quite nicely and it looks to be a very positive year for travel. So stay tuned for that. We'll also have Javon's Travel Minute and the Culture Report. But right now, we've got some travel news. Now, how American Airlines is inspiring the next generation of female leaders. Last weekend, American Airlines hosted a Women in Aviation event for young participants at its hangar in Miami. March 8th, of course, was International Women's Day, and they're certainly looking at the challenging idea of the airline industry that it is the good old boys club. However, just over 6% of non-student pilots being female and only 4% of airline CEOs. American Airlines says it's trying to encourage young women to explore all the different career paths aviation has to offer. So they're bringing in scouts to STEM, the science, technology, engineering, and mathematics career paths. One of American Airlines' female captains, Christine Rupert, is very passionate about introducing girls to STEM. And she does so by giving back to the organization and community that inspired her when she was growing up. At eight years of age, Christine Rupert, daughter of a pilot father, and a flight attendant mother joined the Girl Scouts of the United States of America. The group had a significant impact on her life and profession. When she first became a 737 captain with Americans, she knew she wanted to help pave the way for other girls in the Girl Scout community. So she's quoted as saying, Once I made captain at American, I knew that I had to give back to the community that helped shape me. I strongly believe that we don't have enough women in aviation, only because girls don't have enough exposure to the industry from a young age. And this is where the Girl Scouts come in. Only just over 6% of pilots are women. Now, Women in Aviation Day event in Miami as part of the efforts to introduce girls and young women to the industry on National Girl Scouts Day was organized by Women in Aviation Day, hosted by both Americans Professional Women in Aviation Employee Business Resource Group and the Girl Scouts of Tropical Florida. Over 150 girls participated in the event, which took place at the airline's hangar at the Miami International Airport. The Girl Scouts got a tour of the Boeing 777. They spoke to pilots and flight attendants, and they also got a chance to learn about career paths in areas like engineering, maintenance, cargo, customer service, and operations, as well as hearing from other industry players like TSA the Customs and Border Protection, and the George T. Baker Aviation Technical College. All of these things are very important as far as exposure, because exposure gives people the opportunity to get a glimpse at what their professions could be. So the girls got to talk and learn more about aircraft maintenance and engineering as well. 
uphill battle to break the cloud ceiling was certainly a topic. Currently, only 4% of airline CEO positions are held by women. If turned around, that means 96% are occupied by men. Yeah, big number. So certainly all of these initiatives are looking to change that, but it's going to take time and it's going to take exposure. So kudos to you, American Airlines and Girl Scouts of Tropical Florida. Well, as spring is fast approaching, COVID restrictions are lifting all around the globe. France, for example, is lifting all COVID restrictions for American travelers and they're dropping their mask mandate. They're easing border restrictions, according to government officials, while simultaneously eliminating COVID-19-related vaccine mandates on the ground. France reclassified the United States as a green country, allowing for easier entry protocols. Fully vaccinated travelers coming from a green country are allowed to enter by simply showing their proof of inoculation. Unvaccinated travelers are also welcome if they show proof of a negative COVID-19 PCR test taken within 72 hours of their departure or proof of a negative rapid antigen taken within 48 hours of their departure. Alternatively, travelers may show proof they contracted COVID-19 and recovered within six months of their trip. So that's equal to that negative PCR test. Children under 12 are exempt from all pre-entry testing requirements. The green list includes countries or territories with negligible or moderate virus circulation in the absence of an emerging variant of concern. The new rules came just weeks after France eliminated the pre-departure testing requirement for vaccinated travelers. So before today, the country still required unvaccinated Americans to prove they had a compelling reason for their trip. In addition to easing border restrictions, France suspended its vaccination pass and lifted mask mandates. The country's prime minister tweeted, previously, the pass was required to access public places like restaurants and cafes, as well as long distance trains. So going forward, the country will only require face coverings be worn on public transportation. Now, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention classifies France as a level four destination, indicating a very high level of COVID-19 transmission in the country and warning Americans to avoid traveling there. France's decision to make it easier for tourists to enter comes as several countries in Europe also ease or eliminate border restrictions. Ireland and Iceland, for example, have eliminated all COVID-19 related border restrictions, welcoming both vaccinated and unvaccinated travelers. So that's certainly a sign of what's to come for the rest of 2022. Hall of Fame report progressing with village development sporting betting business. Yes, a Hall of Fame resort and entertainment will hope to have sports betting licenses approved by state officials before the end of the year. Developers of Hall of Fame Village powered by Johnson Controls also remain confident that restaurants, entertainment and gaming sites will be open for business before August. Hall of Fame Resort is building the village and expects tenants in the Fan Engagement Zone Retail Center which is north of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, will be open in phases this year. The majority of tenants will be open before the Pro Football Hall of Fame enshrinement. The past year has been one of continued investment, according to Michael Crawford, president 
CEO. The opening will be in phases, and phase two continues. The construction projects underway are considered as the second phase of the Hall of Fame Village development, which will wrap up around the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So far, Hall of Fame Resort has announced the Fan Engagement Zone retail area will house a Don Schuler's restaurant, a Helix Sports Center, which will be operated by Esports Entertainment Group and a Top Golf Swing Suite that will be paired with Craft Brewery, the Brew Kettle. Construction of the 180-room hotel and water park is expected to begin later this year with completion planned for late 2023. Looking forward to that. Now, the CDC has lowered travel warnings against cruise ships. The U.S. Centers for for Disease Control and Prevention lowered its warning level to just a level two risk. After reaching a level four warning earlier this year, the CDC has lowered its warning level now two times. The level two warning means that it is a moderate risk of COVID-19, which is based on statistics that show the agency has seen 50 to 99 COVID cases per 100,000 residents in the past 28 days. This means essentially that there has been a marked decrease in COVID-19 cases on cruise ships operating in the United States. At a level two warning, the CDC simply advises everyone to make sure you're up to date with COVID vaccines. Those that are not and are at increased risk for severe illness from COVID should avoid cruise ship travel, according to the CDC. The four warning levels are as follows. Level four is very high level of COVID-19, three high level, two moderate level, and one low level of COVID-19. So prior to this change, cruise ships were at a level three. The CDC lowered the warning from level four to three in February. In order for cruise ships to get to a level one, they must have fewer than 50 new cases per 100,000 residents over the last 28 days. The good news comes nearly two years to the day when Royal Caribbean and other cruise lines voluntarily shut down in March 2020 due to COVID-19. Yes, this is March. It's been two years. Royal Caribbean Senior Vice President of Hotel Operations, Mark Thomas, talked about the prospects of moving past COVID last week while on Wonder of the Seas, saying, we are back and it's the greatest vacation and safest there is. A big part of cruising's success has been its resilience on proven health protocols throughout the pandemic. On Royal Caribbean, crew are fully vaccinated and boosted when eligible and Royal Caribbean states, they are regularly tested. Well, New Zealand, one of the last holdouts (laughs) of border closings after more than two years will reopen its borders to Australians starting April 12th and to the international tourists from visa waiver countries from May 1st. This is according to a government announcement on Wednesday, March 16th. The move is part of efforts to accelerate economic recovery, according to a statement from the Prime Minister. Originally, the Arden government had planned to reopen July 2022, but has moved up its schedule. Arrivals from Australia will be able to enter without having to quarantine. Two and a half weeks later, vaccinated tourists from visa waiver countries and those with valid visitor visas will also be able to enter quarantine free. 
Citizens from the United Kingdom, Japan, Germany, South Korea, the United States, and Singapore are among those able to visit New Zealand without a visa. While this may be good news for travel-starved Americans, the U.S. Center for Disease Control recently added New Zealand at level four, its highest risk category. The CDC places a destination in this category when more than 500 cases per 100,000 residents are registered in the past 28 days. Prior to COVID-19 pandemic, international tourism contributed about $11.5 billion to New Zealand's GDP, while tourism industry employees comprised 8% of the national workforce. New Zealand closed its borders in March 2020, as did many other countries, in an effort to stop the spread of COVID-19. The closure and restriction measures were successful in halting the spread of the virus, though the government faced extensive criticism from its citizens who were unable to return. Well, that's all I've got for travel news. And when we come back, we'll have Javon's Travel Minute and a conversation with executive producer Gene Harley on our recent travel experiences and the near future of travel for 2022. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to Traveling Culturati. I'm Javon Harley, host and travel pro. Make sure you visit the website, travelingculturati.com. Connect with me on social media and join that travel club. And now, Javon's Travel Minute. Let's talk about compression socks. Yeah, often thought about for travelers with medical prevention needs, compression socks are now becoming commonplace. While not a vital part of travel for travelers without medical conditions, they are considered a valuable travel accessory that can make a long flight a more comfortable experience. One major and feared condition for travelers is blood clots and more seriously, DVT or deep vein thrombosis. Compression socks can help to prevent blood clots as they work to stimulate circulation in the lower half of the leg. This is necessary when sitting for prolonged periods. Have your legs ever felt like lead after a long flight? Well, that's common due to lack of activity. Non-medical compression socks also work to help fight the feeling of fatigue in your legs. Another condition of sitting for long periods is swelling. This is caused by lack of movement and gravity, which causes fluid retention in the legs below the knee, also known as gravitational edema. This too can be prevented with the right compression socks. Compression socks can take some time to get used to, but they can certainly make a huge difference in your overall health and well-being. Fit is important. Get the right size, making sure they are not too tight, which indicates they may be too small. They don't slide down, which means they're too loose. And make sure they don't bunch up. The main types are compression stockings and anti-embolism stockings and non-medical compression socks. Non-medical compression socks usually come below the knee while compression stockings traditionally come up to mid-thigh. The compression is measured in millimeters of mercury. So you'll see MMHG 
A good compression sock will provide 15 to 25 mmHgs. This is Javon, and that was your travel minute. We have returned from three weeks to nearly a month of back-to-back travel. So joining me today is executive producer Jean Harley. We're going to talk about our experiences, but also we're going to talk about what to expect for the rest of 2022. Yes, we are still having to deal with COVID and uh, it looks like it's not going away anytime soon and that this will still be a topic for travel throughout the year and possibly into 2023. Well, welcome, Jean. Thank you, Javon. It's always great to be here. Yeah. Well, so how does it feel? Uh, Let's talk about our our previous experience. Because in February, or starting in February, we began back-to-back travel to Dubai. One of the main reasons was the Dubai Expo. But we had three different groups all coming in one after the other. And this is after we've had nearly two years. I mean, we had one trip in between. But coming back after about two years of not hosting or escorting groups, how was that for you? It was great to be back, and I benefited from January being able to travel with groups to Ghana and Liberia. But you know what? That month in Dubai, and of course, even better for you, (laughs) Dubai and the Maldives, is great to see so many people back and traveling, uh, hundreds and thousands of people, especially at the expo, how crowded it was. Yeah, it really was. Now, we did have a group to Croatia in the summer of 2021, very small, intimate, private charter that we did, only about 16 people. Mm-hmm. And then we had our small group to Ghana in late January. But these three were different in that they were larger, more of our regular sizes, pre-pandemic sizes, if you will as well as the activities and the schedule of our programs. And also at a time and a destination that was really buzzing with excitement and a lot of things to do and see, especially with the expo. Yeah, that's so true. There were so many people who really, for most people, this was their first trip back since uh, 2019. And for a number of travelers, this was their first international trip period. And I think everybody really enjoyed themselves once they got off that plane and got through testing and protocols. Everyone seemed to be enjoying themselves. They followed the guidelines that we recommended of mask wearing in public and everything like that. But everybody had a great time and you could see the relief in there. And that matches what we're seeing around the world. People want to get back to traveling. They certainly do. And I would certainly agree with you that I think the most daunting part of it was before getting there and getting the right travel credentials, because, you know, it's not just your passport and or visa anymore, even though with Dubai, with the United Arab Emirates, as a U.S. traveler, you don't need a visa. But getting there with your passport. But the travel, uh, COVID travel protocols, also because they were constantly changing, even while we were there, they were changing. Last week, I gave everybody kind of the rundown of what was happening. We were just ahead of changes and we were all looking at each other like we didn't have to get all those PCR tests with the current changes. But we had to get them. And so there's a couple of things that I want to talk about as far as 2022, the remainder of the year and travel are those COVID tests because we have the PCR test, which is a more in-depth test. We also have the rapid test. And so what I'm seeing 
with a lot of countries is who is going to be required to do a PCR test? Is it going to be the necessity of a PCR test? Or can you do the rapid test? Or do you have the choice of doing one or the other? And that's something I'm seeing too, because they're recognizing that turnaround time and that turnaround period and the accessibility of the PCR test. And as you mentioned, that was the biggest issue for people planning their travel with our groups. As you stated, it changed from group one to group two to group three. It changed. But yes, the biggest concern was not what to pack, what to wear, where I'm going. Is my passport ready? It was, can I get my test and can I get the results back on time to make my flight and to get to that destination? And those rules are constantly changing. And I think they're going to change even more to the fact that it might be just testing on demand, like some countries have, or just getting a rapid test at the airport, checking in two or three hours earlier, getting your test results and then boarding your plane and going. I think it is coming to that because as we get better at dealing with COVID and COVID travel protocols and restrictions, I like to say more protocols than restrictions because it's just a requirement. And as they are relaxing around the globe, I think it's important to understand these different things. For example, with Fiji, I noticed that they have now changed it, giving you the option of getting a PCR test or a rapid test. It just is going to determine when you get it. So for example, what they've changed and are now allowing is for you to choose between the two. If you're getting a rapid test, then you have to get it within 24 hours because they know that turnaround time is quicker as well. That's right. But if you're getting the PCR test, then you have within 48 hours to do that. And that's the biggest change for a lot of places. Uh, But also it's different in places like Fiji where everyone has to be vaccinated before they go. And these are the things you need to look at. As travel is reopening to the world, you need to look at the protocols and look at some of the conditions that are part of the protocols. Are they allowing unvaccinated travelers to come to the destination? If you're vaccinated fully, what does fully mean? Does it mean two shots or three shots? And what you need to bring with you. We learned going over to Dubai, for example, most countries have a QR code. United States does not have a QR code. People carry the card. So we mentioned to everybody that you want to go ahead and download a picture of the card. You want to bring your vaccination copy of the card with you. But I don't recommend traveling with the original in case you lose it. It might be some protocols or some issues in getting another one. And laminate that copy so that you can show and easily have it handled but not have it damaged from so many people looking at it. But more and more as places are loosening up, the issues become much easier. And I think like the changes that came in travel in 9-11, we will just grow used to them going through security. Now you will go through protocols. Yeah. And that's happening. I could see us getting more and more relaxed with them. One thing we never seem to get used to, though, is the The test itself, the prod up the nose, because not everyone does it the same. We noticed because there were times in Dubai going to Abu Dhabi that we had to get a test. And then we had to get another test to return to the United States. And then, of course, those going to the Maldives as well, because each country has its own set of protocols, most of which require either a negative PCR test or the full vaccination. But I can tell you, we all walked away with, oh, that one was easy versus, oh, my goodness, that one really went far 
<laughs> so yeah, I don't know became- <laughs> if we're just getting more comfortable with it or our noses are becoming less sensitive to it. But I will tell you the last test coming home back to United States, which is the most required one, 24 hours before boarding the plane back to United States from anywhere in the world, you have to get a COVID test. That for me was the easiest one that I've had. I felt like I've done more damage just blowing my nose than they did getting that test. <laughs> it makes you sniff just thinking about mm-hmm. it, doesn't it? Makes your nose run. Well, one thing I think we have to get better at here is the cost. Because one thing we've realized through this process, because the different groups that we had, people were from different parts of the United States, some from small towns, some from major cities. Certainly, if you're in a major city, you have more resources for getting the COVID testing, That's but right. and especially PCR, but also that the smaller towns really didn't have as many options. And not only did they have fewer options, the turnaround time was longer as well. Now, a lot of major airports, we know at O'Hare, for example, JFK, LAX, they all offer a COVID test, both PCR and rapid at the airport. So if you're flying internationally, that's something that you can do. And they make sure you can get that turned around very quickly for your flight. However, in some cases, it's $250. Yeah, We've never run into anything that expensive abroad. No. They were anywhere between $60 and $70 that you had to pay for, which is very interesting. And you and I, we experience here in Chicago that it's part of our health insurance, and so we don't pay for it at all. Yeah, and a lot of places, it is covered by health care, and a lot of cities like Chicago offer free testing uh, that you can go ahead and get PCR and rapid tests, and I think that's why a lot of people like them. But understand, folks, that when you do the rapid test, it's not a digital Results. So therefore, all you have is that little tab. And one lady said, can I just bring it with you? Well, it disappears after about 45 minutes. So that doesn't help you. So you need to make sure you're getting the right test. But it is very complicated in the United States. And uh, as the rules change, uh, I think it'll get easier, but we need to bring the cost down because every place else, I don't think we spent more than $70 for a test anywhere in the world so far. No, not at all. Okay, so let's talk about the rest of 2022. We have both the World Travel and Tourism Council who are making some predictions for the rest of 2022, as well as the Expedia Group who did a traveler value index as far as the outlook for the rest of 2022, because because travel is shaping up very nicely. And in some cases, we're back to pre-pandemic travel. People really, really want to travel now. And we're getting more and more used to the protocols. So the big theme for travel of 2022, or for the rest of it, is to go big. Yeah, everybody is getting out there and traveling. And based on the country, I particularly like the Expedia program because they talk to people in different countries. And some of the countries that opened up last, like Australia and New Zealand, oh man, they just can't wait. I mean, there's nearly an overwhelming amount of Aussies are looking to hit the road and get out of the country and travel to places around the world. But 81% of people who have been part of the survey are looking at at least one vacation in 2022. Yeah, because New Zealand actually is one of the last of the countries 
countries to open their borders. They're not open yet. They will open in April for Aussies, Australians, and then the rest of the international travel world in May. So we still have some countries that have closed borders. That's right. And as they open up, they're opening up safely and securely, but that lockdown responses to get up and go. So yeah, look forward to a lot of people traveling, but airfares are going to be higher. And also when you go to the airport, the restrictions are changing. Certainly the restrictions are changing. And in pockets, you can find really low airfares. (laughs) And then in pockets, the airfares are really Really high. high, But as people are making more and more plans for summer travel, if you're thinking about it, start looking at airfares now. Because if you wait until later, those airfares will be much higher. Because still, the airlines have not replenished their routes 100%. So we still have fewer flights than we had pre-pandemic, but some of those demands are at pre-pandemic levels. So again, you can still find pockets of very affordable airfares, but expect those airfares to go up. What I find interesting is that nearly a third have at least three trips planned. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Also a combination of business, family, and vacation travel. We forget the fact that business travelers were locked down just like everybody else. So business travel is going to be up dramatically as in-person events. And we know from our industry, the travel industry, we went from virtual events to combination events, hybrids. And now we're going back to actual on-site events. So there's going to be a lot of business travel. Yes, it will be. And it's one of the last sectors to return to travel. Business is still virtual. But as you said in the invitations that we've received with conferences, that's the biggest part of business travel are the conferences where you get so many people traveling to one event. Otherwise, people individually are traveling for meetings and things of that nature. That individual type of travel is coming back first, but business travel sector is the last really to return. Mm -hmm because I think people are still looking at the gathering parts of it, especially when you're talking about conferences. But what people will spend is also something very noteworthy to look at. People will invest more in travel, they're predicting, compared to pre COVID. We're talking about travel from 2019 and that people will spend more. More than 54% of respondents say that they plan to spend more on trips than they did prior. And I think that also takes into account where they're going. So places like people in the United States are going to spend more because even going on the road and traveling from state to state, is going to cost you more. Rental cars, airfares have gone up just even to the Caribbean or whatever. But United States travelers are going to spend more than other countries around the world versus people like Australia or Canadians or Europeans who can travel within country or within continent. Yeah. And one thing I noticed on one of our last trips to Dubai is that more people bought business class. Yes, they did. I think people, in some cases, the people that I talked to said, you know, I'm just not comfortable with sitting in such close proximity. I'd feel much more comfortable. I see this as, you know, a trip 
of a lifetime, a big trip for me. Even though they've traveled with us to many places around the world, they really said, you know what? I haven't spent money on travel in two years, so I'm going to go ahead and spend it for this business class ticket. Let's splurge and enjoy yourself. So I think it's not just proximity, but you know what? I didn't spend anything for two years, and I'm going to really enjoy myself on this one. We had some people who have traveled with us for decades, and they never splurged on business class and they went business class and they they truly enjoyed it. I think they're spoiled like us. They're going to basically sit down and say, I don't think I can go economy anymore. And that sounds so pompous, but you know what? I think they enjoyed themselves and they want to continue to enjoy themselves. We don't know if another lockdown will come. That's certainly true. And what that also means is that since the airlines and hotels allowed everyone to carry over their loyalty points. Mm -hmm. People are saying, let me use them now. I mean, they looked at before, why didn't I use them before? I'm trying to accumulate them for this big trip, but let me just go ahead and use what I have. That's right. And like you said, the airlines, hotels, and others allowed you to roll those over. So it seemed to work well, especially the younger You know, when you go from baby boomers to Gen Xers to millennials to Gen Zs, the younger you are, the more you've looked at using those points and those bonus programs and take advantage of them to travel. Yeah, what I find, because a lot of our travelers are Gen X and boomers. And, you know, initially from our travelers and the surveys that we did internally, they were very reluctant to travel. And they said, you know, I'm in that age group or I have underlying conditions. And so I don't want to put myself in harm's way. Very different to today when they're like, you know what? I'm just going to go for it. Even my parents are like, no, I'm traveling. They're traveling internationally next month and then two months after that. So they're tired of being locked down too. And you have the millennials, of course, and the Gen Zs that are just, you know, we're going to take advantage of everything that we can. Well, I have one person to say, you know, life is too short. And actually where I am, at home, I'm taking more risk every day than a lot of the destinations I read about traveling to. So yes, you know, after two years, if you sit there and you're a baby boomer and you're looking at the years you have ahead of you versus the years you have behind you, and you look at the destinations and you say, you know, I'm better off traveling right now. A lot of people who went with us to Dubai, two out of the three trips were pretty much mostly baby boomers. And those people really had a good time and they enjoyed themselves. And I think the reluctance was going home more than it was going to the destination once they got there and they saw how nice it is and how open it is and the less restrictions and the safer it is. That was the resounding sentiment, especially those who went to the Maldives, you know, one island, one resort where we went. We stayed at the Taj Exotica. And, you know, of course, and I have the before and after pictures, we arrived with our masks on and you just get this feeling of seclusion and the resort is primarily outside. It's like almost everything is outside. Even dining is partially covered, but outside. And so after the first day, the masks start coming down. And because you have space and you have the outdoors and you have this beautiful weather, yeah, that's what everyone said. You know, I kind of forgot about COVID for a minute. And that was a good thing because basically... You want to be safe, but at the same time, you want to try to enjoy yourself. And when you're at home, everything seems to be that way. And I think that's why another point has come up. International travel is making a big comeback because a lot of people, especially those of us in certain countries like the United Kingdom, the United States and others where COVID has been such a lockdown, 
Australia, New Zealand, they look around and they say, okay, where can I go and enjoy myself? Because I just don't want to be locked down anymore 24-7. Yeah. And I was really happy to see it. Even going to the expo, again, people just had a great time. You had to wear masks at the expo and they had people reminding you it wasn't hitting you over the head with it. No. They checked your credentials coming in, either a negative PCR test or a vaccination card. And, you know, people took down their masks to take pictures or to eat and drink, those kinds of things. But you really just got used to it and you really just enjoyed the destination. And again, it wasn't thinking about COVID, COVID, COVID. It was just about the destination and having a great time. And it was mostly outside. And like most people, I don't know about you, I was filling up my passport, visiting these pavilions all over and I felt safe and secure. And you don't even notice that you're wearing your mask after a certain amount of time. And it is, like you said, it's outside and it's enjoyable. I was able to knock out over 40 country pavilions out of the 196 that were part of the expo. And it was a great time to go there. Yeah. You know, one thing the Expedia report brought to light is that people have become more responsible and more conscious when traveling. Mm -hmm. And this is something in the industry we've talked about for many years. And it was kind of hard to get people or tourists, as I should say, to travel responsibly and consciously. But they certainly have. I think COVID has really done that. It's made us think a little bit more about, because it is a public health situation, that we've considered more what it is to be responsible and to travel consciously. Not just looking at the destinations that you're going to for how well they've handled the COVID and COVID response and how safe it is from COVID, but also what they do for their people there. A lot of folks were looking at the fact that a lot of the tour guides, bus drivers, shops and others, they've been closed down, too. And we wanted to basically support them, support local businesses and basically are willing to pay a higher price to enjoy ourselves and make sure that these people can get back to business as usual. Certainly. And some of the figures that they give here, 62% will diligently follow COVID guidelines when they travel. 54% will pick a destination known for strong COVID safety protocols. 48% We'll choose a destination with low COVID case counts and 43% will add in extra time for services and transit helping to minimize those long lines. And 37% more are prepared to pay higher prices. I think people are willing to say, let me go that little extra mile as we talked about before with business class, but not only that, maybe a different type of hotel or a different type of room or a different type of resort in itself. And one in five are tipping more. And I think that's an important thing to think about. These people who are in the travel and tourism industry have had, many of them, no income. They've been locked down and they don't benefit from unemployment programs, not just here in the United States, but anywhere in the world. So they are back to work and they are giving extra service and hopefully we tip them better. Yes. And one thing that certainly is on the rise is travel for personal wellness. Mm-hmm. 38% are prioritizing relaxation as they plan their next trip. And that was, again, in the Maldives, that was all about R&R and everyone just saying how much they needed that 
downtime with no schedule. And I jokingly said, because when we were in Dubai, we had a schedule up at a certain time, be back at the bus at this time, see you at this time. So I jokingly said, okay, I'm not giving you any announcements. This is the last announcement that I'm going to make, which is to say (laughs) no announcements until the last day. I bet they were asking, where's the schedule? What time do we meet tomorrow? (laughs) We don't. We're in the Maldives. Right. Enjoy yourself. But a lot of people still wanted to experience those things. Again, it was the first time traveling internationally for in two years for a lot of people. But for many of our group, it was the first time traveling internationally, period. So they wanted to see and do everything. So it's good to have a schedule, but it's good to have that personal time, that personal wellness where you can lay back and enjoy yourself. Yeah. And workers will use more personal days for travel like they never have before. And that's huge, especially here in the United States, because we've done reports before that said that Americans leave vacation days on the table, unused. And there's so many unused days at the end of the year that's carried over year after year, overworked and not taking that personal time for ourselves. So people will start to take vacation time. That's right. 84% saying there's a greater appreciation for vacation time and 91% are saying they appreciate the time of spending quality time with their family. So that showing a new importance and a new recognition of vacation time. And I think that hopefully that will stay because that's important for your mental well-being. When we come back, I'll have the culture report. Gene, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Javon. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm Javon Harley, your host and travel pro. The website, TravelingCulturati.com. Go ahead and check it out. And while you're there, follow us on social media and join that travel club. Culture is forever changing and reflecting what's happening in the society and with its people. It can be born from the arts, music, food, and sometimes politics and strife. One defining aspect of our culture is our favorite local pastime. The thing we love to do in our hometown and all the experiences and flavors that come with it. Chatting with me today is Tia Clark, a Charleston, South Carolina native and food and beverage veteran who started casual crabbing with Tia in 2017. She now hosts an Airbnb experience titled Let's Go Crabbing, and it's been recognized as one of Airbnb's best in the world. Well, hello, Tia, and welcome to Traveling Culturati. Hello, Javon. Thanks for having me. Well, I got so excited when I came across your story because two things. I love Charleston and crabbing was something that I did as a child with my parents. I'm from originally Washington, D.C., so we would go out to the Chesapeake Bay area and do some crabbing there. So for those two reasons, I really gravitated and your story resonated with me. So tell me about growing up in Charleston. Charleston, South Carolina is my hometown. I love it. I grew up in downtown Charleston. A lot of people say I'm like a dying breed because a lot of people in Charleston right now, they're not from Charleston. You know, you you won't find many people like me anymore. I grew up in downtown. I went to elementary, middle and high school, James Simmons, Rivers and Burke, all in downtown Charleston. 
I spent almost all of my entire career since I've been working in food and beverage. Since I was about 16 years old, I've been working food and beverage jobs. And I did that all the way until I went crabbing for the first time at 37 years old. I actually just hosted an experience today and I talk about this so often and it just baffles me that I could live in Charleston and you visited Charleston. So, you know, it's such a beautiful place and it's right on the water. And I managed to live very close to it and not have any relationship with the water for my whole life. But I love Charleston for what it was for me. You know, my family is from Charleston. Like, that's what I'm saying about like being a, a native. Most people say they're here, but that just means they moved here 20 years ago. My family is born and raised from downtown Charleston off of Henrietta Street, which is the same street that Septima Clark was raised on. And there's a lot of history and culture there. And my family grew up on Henrietta and my great grandfather built a house and my great grandmother had 16 kids. And just two of those kids had over 20 kids. So I have a very large family in Charleston. Wow. So I always tell people any part of Charleston you get into or the surrounding areas, I'm related to someone there. So I grew up eating crabs and I grew up just being raised in downtown Charleston. And then I spent most of my life in bars, working, restaurants, and I smoked cigarettes for a long time. And I quit smoking and thought, you know, everybody always thinks I'm going to do something good for myself. And I quit smoking cigarettes. And then instantly I regretted it because my health just was it just was a decline. And that's kind of what led me to crabbing. So for some who may not know, what is crabbing? Because when I say that sometimes to people, they kind of look at me and some don't want to ask the question, but you can tell they're looking like, what What are you talking about? Well, people crab different ways. There are different species of crabs and you can catch them in different ways. The good thing about crabs is most of them are delicious. And so that's what crabbing is. You take crabs are bottom feeders. People started crabbing with chicken necks. That's how people started crabbing. And the only reason they did that is because people didn't feed crabs what they were feeding their family. You know, the crab wasn't greater than their kids. So the crab was going to get the neck and not the drumstick or the thigh or something. I give them the drumstick and the thighs now, but that's a different story. We did the necks. <laughs> you did. The, everybody did. It's the cheapest. It was the cheapest part. Crabs are bottom feeders. And so because it started with necks, that's what people do. They take chicken and they put it on strings or in baskets and they put it in the water and then the crab will come along and they start eating it and then you just capture it in there. That's an easy way of doing it. People always ask me what my personal favorite way of crabbing is. And that would be the hardest way to crab, which is the old school hand lining way where you have to actually be intimate with this crab and actually walk it about four or five feet up <laughs> from the floor. Very sneaky. And being able to scoop it up like that, I like, you know, anybody can put something that a crab wants in the water and then it comes in and you trap it. But can you really out trick a crab? Can you make it know that you're not there? It's really hard to do because I can tell you that that was something my father would have us do. And I think he just kind of got a kick out of it uh, <laughs> <laughs> that we would go in and you go into this shallow area and throw out the chicken neck tied around a rope and just kind of lure it in a little bit. But oftentimes they get away because they see you. And like you said, it's very hard to be elusive and not to scare them away. 
I'm like, I am controlling my breathing. I am hardly moving. I'm like, this is a dance, you know? Like, I imagine, like, somebody's, like, composing something. Like, they're waving their hands in the background, and I'm trying to talk to this crab and, and get it up there. And that's really fun for me, you know? You're up close with your food. You know, I ate so much crabs before I went crabbing. It was insane. And that's very important, what you just said, getting up close and personal with your food. One thing is that I love to cook. So I do get up close and personal with my food. But a lot of people who don't cook or who live in very urban areas and only go to the grocery store, they don't have that relationship with food and knowing its source or being connected to its source. Last week, I did a show on falling in love with fall. And I think the reason we fall in love with fall is because it does put us back in nature as we're kind of disconnecting ourselves from it and living in these urban surroundings. So what began that love of crabbing? What made you go to the water? Well, I would love to say that something great happened and I decided I was going to go to the water. But really, it was a story of turmoil where my health was declining and I seriously wanted to die. One of the last things I said to my wife was, I'm about to call it because I was just this was six weeks into the hives, the Bernie, like I quit smoking cigarettes in September 2016, November 2016. I had hives all over my body. They would not go away. If I got some short relief from it, but it would immediately come back and it was just painful and it was just really, really miserable. And it really felt like there was a fire going on in my body and it was just so everything was just kind of like inflamed and hot and it was just awful. And so I went to the hospital and the hospital couldn't help me after like a week of just giving me steroids. And then they sent me to National Allergy. And I worked with National Allergy for over a month and none of the stuff that they suggested worked. And after that, a woman there suggested I go talk to a holistic PA. And I did that. And this woman decided to put me on an elimination diet. And in a matter of five months, I think I had already lost like 50 pounds. My health, I started losing weight, the hive stopped, the pain stopped all within like the first week of this elimination diet. And then finally, the holistic PA said, I want you to get active. And I didn't know what to do. And I ran into an old family member and he suggested that I come crabbing with him. And he took me crabbing one time. And in one afternoon, I felt like somebody had grabbed me by my ankles and flipped me upside down and was shaking me <laughs> very, very hard because I live in Charleston. This is my hometown. And what happened that day next to the water made me feel like I had no idea where I was. I really felt like I was lost. I was like, is the sky even blue? I was dumbfounded that I was having the experience I was having in Charleston. And then that day I was thinking, how in the world have I never had this experience here before? Like, this is crazy. And so I called my mom when I got done. I fed my family. And then I started crabbing every single day, every day. Not as a business, though, just as my health journey. And I would post every day to social media. I would get off the bar when I wasn't feeling good at two in the morning and I would go home and just eat Benadryl but knock myself unconscious until I had to work the next day. Some days I would get up and eat. Some days I didn't, depending on how I felt. And when I started feeling really good <laughs> and going crabbing every morning, like that changed everything. My days then began I get off at two, I go home, I set an alarm, I grab my cast net, I go watch the sunrise and I throw my cast net every day. 
And so I would just like take the picture of like the cloud or something. And friend that I had, my fishing buddy took a picture that I had and he created a Facebook page called Casual Crapping with Tia. I did not create the page. I didn't come up with the name. My friend did and he did it as a joke. And instantly people were messaging me and they were asking me if I would take them crabbing. And I worked food and beverage for 20 years. What I thought was that people suck. It's <laughs> a crazy thing to say, but 20 years of food and beverage kind of eating me alive. I was kind of soiled on the human race. I just said no to everyone for almost a year. Everybody that asked to come, I'd shut them down. And that was because I'd never experienced anything like what was happening to me. And I didn't want some stranger to come and ruin it. So I came into like protect mode over this thing. And so I said no for a year. Then I said yes, but not for the business, just to do it, to see what it was like. And I did it. And then not long after the first time I did that, someone sent me a link to maybe try Airbnb experiences out. And I thought there was no way I wanted to do it because I didn't know anything about Airbnb. I'd never stayed in one. I hadn't taken an experience. And so I was like, I don't know what this is. No chance I'm doing this. More so, I think it was, I don't even want to let the strangers that are here in town come crabbing with me. So why would I let (laughs) other strangers come? That's more kind of what it was. But my wife, my awesome wife said, you should try it. And she actually typed it all up and submitted it. And they accepted it right away onto the platform. And then I was hosting my first experience in July of 2018. Now, Crabbing with Tia, and I take so much pride in this, is my baby that I am giving an in-your-face, really authentic, unique Charleston experience. I love that when people show up to the dock with me, the first thing they say is, we knew we were coming Crabbing, but we didn't know what to expect. Mm -hmm. That's my favorite thing. I feel like you booked this experience. We're already friends. Instantly, we're already besties by the time you get on that dock. So how do we book a casual crabbing with Tia experience? Yeah, so you can book casual crabbing with Tia at casualcrabbingwithtia.com or on Airbnb's experience platform. It's called Let's Go Crabbing. I'm booking a casual crabbing with Tia experience. I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) Yeah, same here. (laughs) Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you. Well, that's it for the show today. Wherever you go, go with all your heart. Confucius. Ladies and gentlemen. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Ladies and gentlemen.